right, uh, we're starting out segment three here with the epic Ventures hit Walk, Don't Run. As we sadly note in our obituary column, the passing of the, the guy that founded the Ventures, originally known as the Versatones, Bob Boggle. Passed away last month at the age of 75 from Hodgkin's lymphoma. Bob Boggle put the group together in 1958, and Walk, Don't Run was their uh, the first big hit, reaching number two in 1960, establishing the ventures of the first major surf band. The Beach Boys said that Bob was one of the inventors of surf music. Boggle originally played rhythm guitar, then switched to bass soon after that. Uh, the group had six top 20 albums and hit singles, including the theme to Hawaii Five-O. Rolling Stone noted that the sound Boggle pioneered found its way into new wave classics like the B-52's Rock Lobster and Blondie's Atomic. Boggle retired four years ago but rejoined his bandmates when the Ventures were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2008 by lifelong fan John Fogarty. Bob Boggle, gone, but at least on Radio Parallax, not forgotten. Of course, this is a bit of a musical cliche, but I think we'll go with it anyway, Mr. McMillan. Yes, we're deeply disturbed, at least this correspondent is deeply disturbed to report the fact that Kodak has, in fact, retired Kodachrome. When Kodachrome arrived on the American scene, Babe Ruth had just hit his 714th and last home run, and the first animated full-length movie, Snow White, made its debut. This correspondent loved Kodachrome probably as much as Paul Simon. It was certainly my preferred film when I carried around my Canon FTB in through 28 countries uh, a couple decades ago. And I guess this is just one more news item forcing dinosaurs like myself into the digital age, kicking and screaming, at least when it comes to photography, although I'm pretty much kicking and screaming in every other thing that's digital as well. But the Sacramento Bee noted that we are left with indelible impressions captured and preserved for two generations by the venerable color film. From World War II to the space program on magazine pages, movie screens, and living room walls, our view of the world was usually Kodachrome. And I actually am genuinely sad to report this. To a survey of some other editorials out there, Newt Gingrich a while back said that the, uh, the failure of those ballot measures to pass in California showed that people are getting fed up with government. Newt Gingrich, of course, didn't mind spending things on his own pet projects or, you know, approved of the, the Bush-Cheney vast expanse of our military in the past eight years. And, you know, basically, Newt Gingrich should just shut up. But then we're hearing a lot of liberal commentators talking about how Proposition 13 is crippling California. And while it may be true that the taxes have been shift off of, shifted off of commercial property owners thanks to Prop 13, uh, most of these comments are just nonsense. You know, I had a great editorial that uh, spoke up in favor of Prop 13, but I can't find it. So just take, my, <laughs> just take my word for it on this one. Because, you know, when people just repeat things over and over and over again, people tend to accept it as fact. And that seems to be what's going on with, you know, this idea that Prop 13 is the ruination of California. It wasn't perfect, 
But, uh, you know, it's not the explanation for why we're having our budgetary woes. Surprising piece of opinion by George F. Will, someone I don't find myself agreeing with all that often, talked about how uh, Robert McNamara's tragic confidence seems eerily similar to today's. In last Sunday's paper, Will was critical of the, um, of the belief that, I, that, he, that he thought McNamara exemplified the fact that everything can be quantified, so pick a problem, any problem. Military insurgency in South Indochina? Well, the answer, counterinsurgency. What can be and hence must be quantified? Well, body counts, surely. Bingo, a metric of success. Anyone old enough to remember the, uh, the Vietnam War will note that every night, the network news would show us the body counts, which are how many Americans had died, how many South Vietnamese soldiers had died, and how many Viet Cong had died. The ratios were almost inevitably 1 to 3 to 10. When asked about those numbers, the North Vietnamese leadership said, uh, well, if those were true, we'd have been wiped out a long time ago. They weren't true, and those who are confident that we're going to succeed in Iraq, I think are going to be uh, sorely disappointed. Auntie Ruth column in the Sacramento News and Review was interesting. Asking the question of how green will our valley be, Auntie Ruth noted that the population of the Central Valley is predicted to spike from 7 to 12 million over the next 30 years. Researchers at UC Davis wanted to know what all that growth was going to mean for the sustainability of our valley communities into the mid-21st century. Asking if the valley can grow greener, Mark LaBelle, UC Davis expert, was quoted as saying, I'm actually pretty pessimistic about the possibility. Dr. LaBelle is described as an expert on environmental policy and local government and a lead researcher on the report Achieving Sustainability in California's Central Valley, which was just released by the UCD Sustainable Transportation Center. Anyway, according to Auntie Ruth, uh, Dr. Rebell believes that the Republican-dominated suburban cities are often more forward-looking than, uh, than, than Auntie Ruth would have given them credit for, noting that Roseville ranked fifth in the index, which I find hard to believe, and even sprawl-happy Elk Grove placed at number 17, way ahead of Yuba City, Lathrop, and Shafter. I don't know. If, if Elk Grove is getting good marks for sustainable growth, we are in trouble, folks. And I love this opinion piece by Lexington and The Economist from the June 13th issue, which I just have to quote from. Americans like to think of themselves as martyrs to work. They delight in telling stories about their punishing hours, snatched holidays, and ever-intrusive blackberries. At this time of year, they marvel at the laziness of their European cousins, particularly the French. Do you know the French take the whole of August off to recover from their 35-hour work weeks? Have you heard they're so addicted to their holidays that they leave the sick to die and the dead to molder? There's an element of exaggeration in this, of course, but not just about the French, also the Americans. The average American gets only four weeks of paid leave a year, compared with seven for the French and eight for the Germans. But noted Lexington, when it comes to the young, the situation is reversed. American children have it easier than most other children in the world, including, including the supposedly lazy Europeans. They have one of the shortest school years anywhere, a mere 180 days compared to the average of 195 for OEDC countries, and more than 200 for East Asian countries. German kids spend 20 more days in a year in school than American ones, and South Koreans, a month more. Americans also have one of the shortest school days, six and a half hours, adding up to just 32 hours a week. Americans also divide their school time oddly. They cram the school day into the morning and early afternoon, and close their schools for three months in the summer. The country that tut-tuts at Europe's mega-holidays think nothing of giving its children such a lazy summer. 
But the long summer vacation acts like a mental eraser, with the average child reportedly forgetting about a month's worth of instruction in many subjects and almost three times that in mathematics. Well, of course, Leskington, perhaps not knowing any better, assumes that American children are actually learning mathematics, which, frankly, seeing how it's taught over here, we know is not happening. Anyway, he does have a point, I think. If the kids are in school anyway, it seems like it'd be easier to extend the school day and get more schooling in. I don't know. I did like the picture that accompanied the article, a kid with his, with his cap turned on backwards, sucking on a Slurpee with various school books underneath his feet, acting as a support as he's watching television. I think we made mention of this article last summer, which I think I'll hit again. New scientists, some other British friends of ours, noted that uh, a study in America of where people live showed that uh, the database was uh, uncovering some patterns. Researchers in Salt Lake City used census data and map data to score neighborhoods on various measures of walkability. They noted that people with a lower body mass index, indicating they're thinner rather than fatter, tend to live in areas where, with older buildings, where a higher proportion of people walked to work. They noted in the article that older houses tend to be surrounded by sidewalks, trees, and shade. <laughs> they tend to be close to shops, making it easy and pleasant to walk compared with newer neighborhoods, which were not built with pedestrians in mind. And God ain't it the truth. We've only got a few minutes left today, so I don't think I can talk about uh, the goings-on with the Bush administration. Now, people are now calling for some prosecutions to take place for human rights abuses, and most particularly the U.S. intelligence report, which came out last week, noting that there was little proof that all of these secret wiretaps did any good. In fact, the report, uh, I just mentioned in, in passing of the report mandated by Congress last year and produced by the Inspectors General of five federal agencies, found that other intelligence tools used in assessing security threats posed by terrorists provided more timely and detailed information. Believe me, we will return to that topic. Here's an item I missed that I caught in a paper that was hanging around from last month. Apparently, ethanol has arrived in 25 local stations in the Sacramento-Davis area. Turns out, however, that very few cars can run on ethanol. And, of course, ethanol itself is a gigantic environmental hoax. Noted the article in the B by Tony Bizjack noted that the California Air Resources Board Chairman Mary Nichols, who unveiled one of the pumps on Madison Avenue in Sacramento, acknowledged that the fuel, known as E85, isn't as green as state officials would like. But she said it's a sign of things to come. Tell you, when George Bush and Dick Cheney decide that they got something that's going to help us environmentally, look out. That was ethanol. All right, in closing, I want to also quote from beat columnist Ginger Rutland. An interesting, interesting story in last Sunday's column about her father, Bill Rutland. He was a civilian logistics officer for the Air Force. She noted that the young pre-general Herb Gavin traveled the world together with her dad in the 50s and 1960s and helped deploy American military hardware to allies across the globe. Ginger noted that uh, at the end of one long tour, the two, of them met, the two men were in Colorado Springs, and Gavin said, let's go to a bar for a drink. The bar's hostess refused to let them enter. Her dad more or less just said, let's go, and Gavin understood that it's because her dad was black, and the bar didn't serve blacks. This is in the mid-1950s, before the Civil Rights Revolution. The next day, the two were in a Denver hotel waiting for a shuttle, and... Herb Gavin was fuming about the previous, uh, previous day's snub, and he told, uh, told her dad to put on his lamb's wool fez, which is a souvenir he picked up from their travels in Pakistan, and said they would go to the hotel bar. 
First, her dad refused, not anxious to repeat a humiliation like the previous day, but Gavin insisted. He said, let's go in. But Gavin had a plan. The king of Saudi Arabia was in Washington visiting then-President Eisenhower, and dad was deposed as the king's son, Prince Ahmed. Gavin, in his Air Force colonel uniform, would pose as the prince's escort officer. So far from being turned away from the, from the posh hotel, the two were greeted with open arms in the bar. Learning that a royal prince was in the room, other patrons sent over free drinks. While Gavin regaled the crowd with tales of the prince's vast wealth and rivers of oil gushing from beneath the desert sands, Dad mostly nodded, uttering a few faux French phrases. In the midst of their prank, the bar's owner approached to inform that he'd called the Denver Post, and the paper was sending over a photographer to take pictures of his royal guest. At that point, her dad and Gavin quickly excused themselves and caught the next taxi to the airport. Part I like about the story was that uh, Ginger said that she'd heard that Prince Ahmed story dozens of times for her dad, but didn't really quite believe it until at the retirement at his retirement roast at McClellan Air Force Base, General Gavin, retired by then, showed up and pretty much word for word repeated the story. Ginger noted that if they'd been caught in this little prank, her father, according to her father, Gavin would have lost his commission and dad would have lost his job. But they noted it was a brave and patriotic gesture that everyone in the family appreciated and, of course, will never forget. All right, we got about one minute left, so I guess we'll go to an old standby, Wacky Warning Labels. These apparently came out of a contest sponsored this year by the Foundation for Fair Civil Justice. The group intended to show how frivolous U.S. lawsuits distort the U.S. civil justice system. Adding that the fear of lawsuits has promoted some of the following labels. Blanket from Taiwan said, not to be used as protection from a tornado. Apparently a retail fireplace log said, caution, risk of fire. An American Airlines packet of nuts had the following on it. Instructions, open packet, eat nuts. Apparently one of the winners of a previous contest in 2003 was this, this barn burner. This comes from a bottle of drain cleaner. If you do not understand or cannot read all directions, cautions, and warnings, do not use this product. But I want to close with my personal favorite. This one goes back many a year, <laughs> but uh, it's the best one for me. This comes from a string of Chinese-made Christmas lights. Said the packaging, warning, for indoor or outdoor use only. Anyway, we're out of time. So much to cover, so little time. But as always, we enjoy our week here with you, dear listener. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. Through the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you. People call, say, beware, doll. You're bound to fall. You thought they were all. I'm kidding you. Scrounging 